Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life podcast, providing the simple answers to the complex questions asked about your financial future. Let's get you the answers you need about retirement, investing, asset planning, and the current market. Here's your host, Julian Rubenstein. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. My name is Julian Rubenstein, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the president of American Asset Management, a registered investment advisor located in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm very excited about today's show, as we are fortunate to have Robert Schwartz from the law firm of Robert Schwartz, a prominent attorney and CPA in the area. I've known Robert for quite some time, and I actually refer him to almost all my clients. So please join me in welcoming Robert to the podcast. Hello, Robert. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I know this is your season, so you're very busy. Yes. I called you in the summer. Yes. No, no, that's okay. I'm happy to do it. Happy to be here. Right. But you know, we're not such a seasonal uh, community anymore, right? No, I can tell you when I first started practicing in the summer, I had plenty of time to play golf and do whatever. And and now my practice, I almost can't tell the difference between March and, and July. Yeah, same with me. I used because I meet with clients once a month. Um, so once a quarter, the, the you know that summer quarter we had no meetings, right? Yeah. And now it's it's just like July is January, no big deal. Yeah, um, so, yeah it's it's much better this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, much better. So why don't you uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your practice? Sure. So I am from Miami. So I'm a native Floridian, which I guess is not normal um, from what I've been told. Um, grew up down here, went to college um, in Florida, got my CPA license, um, and then became a lawyer after that. Um, I've been practicing in the area of wills and trusts since 1995. I actually went out on my own and started my own practice in 1996. So I've been doing wills, trusts, estate planning, estate administration, and I used to do real estate for, God, 27 years now. I don't know where the time goes, Julian, but it seems to go. Um, I just looked the other day and I have, I've prepared over 20,000 trusts and wills for my clients over the years. So I've seen a lot and done a lot and my business just keeps growing, thankfully. Great. So now you started your your business, you said in 96? 96, yep. And when did you graduate law school? 93. Okay. So you went to work for a firm for a short period of time and then struck out on your I went to work for an accounting firm. Uh, one of the big six or big five or big four. I don't know what it is now. Back then, the, the big eight. <laughs> back then, it might have been the, yeah. I think it was the big eight. Um, I worked for one of one of those places for a year. Um, and then I worked, worked for a small law firm in Boca for a year. And then I went on a move. That's interesting. Now, what made you choose accounting first over law? That first go around? That's a good question. So when I was in law school, there was like a recession on the hiring of lawyers. So only the oh. literally like the top 5% of the law students really got lawyer jobs. 
I had always known that I wanted to do estate planning, estates and trusts, and I always figured um, working in an accounting firm would probably help from the tax point of view. So I had a very high marks in accounting in undergraduate, and I knew getting a job in an accounting firm would be pretty easy for me. So I took the opportunity and I, and I went with it. So I got a pretty good background. So in doing estate tax returns and fiduciary returns during the course of my career, it's been no problem for me. That's great. Um, with that background. Yeah. So um, everything you learn helps. Sure. So you said that you always knew you wanted to do wills and estates. What drew you to that um, aspect of the law? So in law school, when you start law school, you get they assign in, at least the University of Florida, they assign you to a group. And then there's like six people in your group and that becomes like your little law school group. And this one guy said he was going to do trusts and wills and all that stuff. And I was a kid and I didn't know anything about it. And when he started explaining it to me, it just seemed like that was it. That was the match. That was exactly what I wanted to do. I never really wanted to do litigation and go to court and argue and scream at everybody and all that. So I kind of then just literally geared my law school education towards that and and that's basically all i've ever done interesting so yeah. the question I, I always ask is what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now what do i wish i knew as a lawyer yes when you started practicing um, like something that you know now that would have made it so much easier or better back then like for me for example i could tell you if i really understood the true risk of the stock market and what i mean by that is i overstated the risk i wish i knew that back then that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was? That's interesting. That's a really good question. Um, what do I wish that I knew? You know, this is going to be an, an interesting answer. How to manage employees better, <laughs> quite frankly, because that's been difficult. And I, I've taken a lot of chances on things that marketing ideas and things like that. I wish I would I would have known better. From a lawyer point of view, I can't really answer that. I need to get back to you on that one. Okay. Um, it's not a test. That's okay. You can't fail. Not a test? No, not yeah. A test. That's a good question. Now I'm going to ponder that for, for days. Okay. <laughs> um, what is something you share with every client? Is there one thing that you tell everybody that walks through the door? Probably the one thing I share with all my clients is, you know, are you here to make things easier for your children? If you're here to make things easier for your children, then I'm here to help you. If you're not really here to make things easier for your children, then I'm probably not the guy for you because that's what we do. We try to make people's, you know, I always tell my clients, Julian, that a trust is the last gift that they can give to their kids, right? To setting up a trust so they don't have to go through probate, making things easier for them. And so, you know, some clients, some people walk in the door and they don't really care. That's not why they're in the office. Some people are looking for, you know, protecting assets in case they get sued, which I don't do. Um, so that's probably the one thing I would say I would share with them. Okay. And what is one mistake that you see a lot of people make that's very hard to undo? Oh, that's a good question. The one mistake that I, we see a lot is people. So in these communities around here, everybody talks about, you know, wills and trusts and how to avoid probate and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And what happens is a lot of clients will take their house or their investment accounts and they'll put their kids' names on their house because they think that's the way of protecting the asset and it doesn't have to go through probate. And especially with the house, that's a big mistake because you cannot undo that. 
if I have a house and I put my son's name on my deed, right, and I decide I want to sell the house, well, I need my son's permission to do that. And if my son decides, well, he doesn't want me to sell the house or he wants the house or he thinks I met some new person and some new woman and he thinks that she's going to get the house, he might not be so willing to take his name off the deed. And so that is a big mistake that a lot of people make. Okay. And I'm going to add to that a big mistake that I see is people failing to have beneficiaries, not forget the right beneficiaries, just not even having beneficiaries, Mm -hmm. right? In all their accounts. So it's Right. right. So if you have, if you don't have beneficiaries, then those accounts have to go through probate. Right. And so what we see when we set up trusts for people is, you know, either they need to have beneficiaries on their accounts or they, those accounts need to be in the trust and there's advantages and disadvantages of both. Um, but yeah, so with, we end up doing a lot of probate work for people that had beneficiaries on some accounts and didn't right. have beneficiaries on other accounts or had accounts in the trust and didn't have accounts in the trust. We see that a lot. I, I think I just started two probates yesterday for that exact thing. Right. You know, by the way, I've always been told you do not put an IRA in a trust. Is that correct? You don't want to make a trust a beneficiary? Yes and no. So first of all, an IRA can't be in a trust because an IRA is a trust itself. Basically, it's a custodial account. But the question is whether you should put the trust as a beneficiary of your IRA, Julian, is really depends on the situation. You can do it. We used to tell people not to do it for a long time because the kids used to be able to take the IRA and defer it over their lifetime. Oh, but now it's a 10-year rule. Now right? it's a 10-year rule, so, so it doesn't, doesn't matter. really matter that much. Right. So, for instance, if you have two kids and one kid's on SSI benefits or on, you know, or has an alcohol addiction problem or something like that, and you still want that kid to get half the IRA, the only way to do it is to name the trust as the beneficiary. Okay, but and, there's no tax implications. They're not forced to take the money out faster. The ten-year, no, ten years. Okay, so so it has changed. I'm glad I asked that question. Okay, um, so I was going to ask you. I'll ask you anyway. What is your unique approach with your clients? These I have are a tough question. I want to hear what you have to say. My unique approach, I guess. I think I know what your answer is going to be. Of course, you know. But I, you know, my unique approach is I. You know, we represent our clients for a fair price and an affordable price. And I've been doing it for years and years for God, since 2000. Um, what happens is a lot of attorneys charge, you know, two or three thousand dollars for these forms. And we where we might charge eight or nine hundred to maybe ten, you know, a thousand or eleven hundred. And that's kind of our unique approach to it. And as a result of that, I've done so many more trusts than I would imagine than most attorneys that I have so much more experience, even than those attorneys that have been doing this for a bit longer than me. And we're much more efficient. And I think that brings a lot more to the table for the client. Uh, Listen, I agree with you. As as you know, I send you most all of my clients because when I first met you, I looked, I actually had your work. I don't know if I ever told you this. I sent your work that you did for someone up to a big firm in Philadelphia. They said it was perfect. You just didn't charge enough. <laughs> so, and I, I tell that to all the people listening to the show, you get the same work from Robert that you're going to get from anybody else. And by the way, I've seen the, what you do, forget thousands. I've seen people pay 10,000, 15,000 for the same exact work. It just yeah. my mind. 
Well, it's really interesting because when I first started my own practice, I was charging the $2,000 and this was back in, you know, 90, you know, maybe 2000. And um, when I decided to lower my fees to make it more affordable for people, and my first thought to myself was, wait a second, I know just as much as every the people that are charging $3,000, but it's really not about that. I mean, it's just forms, right? So the reality is you're not paying for the lawyer to fill out the forms. The client can go online and download forms. What you're paying for is having somebody to talk to, the back and forth, right? Um, and peace of mind is really what you're paying for. So you're getting the peace of mind that you know the forms were done right, that they were executed properly, and and what you're supposed to do with the forms going forward. So that's the, and I don't think that's worth $3,000, to be honest. Right, I agree with you. Hundred percent, right? Because because and especially it was a lot more expensive for you in the old days. You had to write it out on the typewriter. Now, now it's a word processor. I'm not record. that old, buddy. I'm not that old. We still I, we had computers when I was practicing. Okay, all right. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't. I got to tell you though, when we still typed letters in the early '90s, I do remember that. In the early, yes, but I didn't really start my practice till '96. We were definitely with the computers. Okay, all right. I'm not going to yeah. argue with you. Okay. Yeah. So given all your success, what is your biggest challenge today, business-wise? Time. Okay. Time. It's um, time. <laughs> time to make find more time for more clients or more time for yourself? More time for myself. Okay. Yeah. Business is great. I'm doing well. Um, I have four associate attorneys. I just brought in another attorney. Yeah, time in, in managing the staff. It's hard to hire people these days. Um, ever since COVID, getting people that want to work, um, it's difficult. Um, getting people that have work ethic is difficult these days. I would say that's the those are the two most difficult things. So I, I got to ask you, though, because you're white collar work. Um, what are the, the people that used to work for you that did they quit after COVID? Well, yeah, a lot of people quit after COVID. Like but I had personally, like, why would they leave a good job? I mean, how do they support themselves? I, I just can't figure this out. Because then during COVID, they were getting unemployment benefits and then some. Remember, right, but they were getting over. like double. But huh? isn't that over? Isn't that all over now? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, why don't those people come back and say, "Hey, please, can I have my job back?" You can't figure it out either. Yeah, I, I can't figure it out. And, We've and, had and, that uh, problem. You have or have not? Have not, um, and I don't know if it's because I I hire more mature people, but you know my staff stayed through COVID and continues to stay with me. Yeah. yeah. Well, how many people do you have? Just four. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I had I had two people that were with me for ten years and eight years, and the one that was with me for ten years left for uh, for not COVID reasons, but the one that was with me for nine years left for COVID reasons. And so that put me behind the eight ball and now I'm trying to hire people to replace them and it was difficult. Okay. But staffing oh. is, is one of my more harder things, but I, I have a core group of people that are really good. It's just everybody else that becomes difficult. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Well, so um, is there anything that we haven't spoke about that you want to share with the listeners? No, I offer free consultations for anybody that's interested. They can come in and meet with me. If they have documents already, I'm happy to look at their documents. 
if you have if anybody's from out of state that's a big question is whether their documents that were done in new york new jersey are valid in florida and so i can go through and answer all those questions um i'm able to do we're able to do things on zoom however whatever makes the client comfortable we should be able to accommodate them i appreciate that because we do the same thing you know we always consultation take a look at what people are doing and no obligation i think that's an important thing to make people feel comfortable when they get started yep absolutely yep and what's the best way for the listeners to contact you because i'm sure many of them uh, will want to have a consultation phone call the office and make an appointment and that um, 561-736-3440 okay and i can highly recommend you since i've used you um well if we have nothing i appreciate else to say, that I really want to thank you for being on the show today, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime in the future. Thanks, Julian. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Control of Your Financial Life. For more information about today's topics, please visit or check the show notes for more important information and links. Share, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.